Good morning, guys. It's uh, great to see all of you this morning. And uh, if you are a guest here, we are so glad you're here and want you to feel comfortable and welcome. Let us know if you have any questions about anything. Uh, we are just glad you are here. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy for a very long time. We're taking a break over the next several weeks and today starting a three-week mini-series on uh, our purpose, vision, and mission as a church. Um, so if you have a bulletin, you can see it says, where are we going? And so today and next, the next two Sundays, you'll hear from not only me, but from two of our other elders, Ben Ritchie and uh, Reggie Horn, about the purpose, vision, and mission of Redemption Church. So I'd uh, love for you to, to tune in. We're going to be looking at scripture to see what uh, Jesus does for us and how that informs who we are and how we are to live, not only as individuals and as families, but as a church community and how we are seeking to flesh that out here in Augusta, Georgia, and how that uh, mission ripples out to connect with other churches globally for the global mission of Jesus Christ. Um, if you look at the bottom of your bulletin, you will see in a nice orange rectangle, the purpose of, of Redemption Church is gospel community mission. The vision is to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus. And the mission is to bridge barriers to the gospel through rhythms of practical biblical teaching, practice spiritual disciplines, relationship building, and personal service. So we will cover these topics over the next three weeks. Today we are starting with the purpose of Redemption Church, gospel community mission, with this sermon, We Are Here. If you have a Bible, I would ask that you turn to Ephesians chapter two. Uh, the Bible's a great place to start if you're gonna look at what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be part of uh, a Christian church. So uh, we should probably go to the scriptures, right? Ephesians chapter two. Um, let me pray and we will look at uh, that text. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you are a good and holy God. Lord, that you have drawn us here with your people as your people. God, whether we are long-time believers, new believers, not yet believers, seekers, doubters, skeptics, God, I thank you that you've drawn us here together this morning. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us, opening our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus through your scriptures. God, that you would shape us as individuals, as men and women, God, as families, as a community, God, as a church. Uh, Lord, that you would propel us to do good works because of the identity you secure for us by your son, Jesus. Uh, so God, I pray that over the next few minutes you would um, humble us, God, that you would shape us, uh, Lord, that all things would happen for your glory and our joy, and that the gospel of Jesus would advance from here to the nations, we ask in Christ's holy name, amen. Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse 11 through 19 says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is God's word. Friends, the good news is that Jesus rescues us from being hopeless strangers and reconciles us to be citizens in his kingdom. This good news gives us peace. This good news gives us unity with one another. This good news gives us partnership with each other to participate in the mission of God's kingdom. This is good news. This is exciting stuff. Several years ago, I was traveling uh, with a mission team to Romania. It was the summer of 2002, and I was uh, with a team, and we were going from Budapest, Hungary, into Romania. We would travel over the border numerous times over the summer to pick up folks, and we were riding this big bus. And as we got to the border, the Hungarian border, um, they check your passports, take up everybody's passports, make sure everybody's who they say they are. Apparently over the summer, my appearance had changed a little bit. And so when the guy gets my passport, he sees a you know, clean-shaven fellow with kind of shaggy hair. Uh, and I was sitting on the bus with this you know, long, grotesque beard and a shaved head. <laughs> uh, and he says, this isn't you. Like, excuse me? He's like, this isn't you. Get off the bus whoa, excuse me? So with two armed guards, I was uh, escorted off the bus and into a little hot office on the Romanian-Hungarian border. And I sat there for about half an hour sweating, freaking out because these men claimed I was not who the passport said I was. And so they were making phone calls and you know, doing whatever they were doing and I was just freaking out thinking, you know, and, and for the record, Romania, Hungary, those are not two bad places to be stranded in. So it wasn't too bad. But I was a little nervous thinking, how, what am I going to do? I'm going to be stuck here, like between these two countries, like where, where they're not going to let me go, like what's going to happen? And after about half an hour, they made some phone calls and, and did whatever. And they found out, you know, this, this guy's legit, he's fine. And so they let me back on the bus. And uh, later, my Romanian friends were joking, saying that they, they typically do that to Americans just to try to scare them a little bit, that there was no danger at all, that they were just having a good laugh at my expense. Fine, whatever. But if you've ever been out of the country, if you are a stranger in a different land, you know you will experience several cultural differences, linguistic differences, food differences, maybe misunderstanding. I did not speak Hungarian. These guys spoke a little bit of English. They probably spoke more English than they let on because they were trying to scare me, maybe, with their weapons and their big meanness. But what I realized in that moment is that your citizenship carries with it expectations. If 
you are a citizen of a country and you show your passport, there are expectations that you have as an American citizen when you show that passport. You were expected to conduct yourself in a certain way when you were traveling. There are even privileges you have as being a part of this country. If you have a passport, you have certain privileges because of your nationality or your identity or your, uh, wherever you find, you have responsibilities. You see, your passport shows where your allegiance is. Your passport shows where your life is, where your identity is, where you spend your time, where your resources, where you call home. These men, they didn't really have to know anything about Jeremy, but they could know that this guy, Jeremy, is an American. His family is probably in America. His work is in America. He lives there. And you see, the Apostle Paul uses citizenship language in Ephesians 2 as he is writing to the early church, the early Christians in Ephesus, describing to them what it means to be a citizen in Christ's kingdom. To be a citizen in Christ's kingdom is finding your identity, not necessarily where you are located, whether it be on the border between Hungary and Romania, not finding your, your identity and where you are located as a citizen in uh, Rome or in Ephesus, or in America, but finding your ultimate citizenship in the kingdom of Christ. And that citizenship is a mark of identity that carries with it privileges, responsibilities, and expectations. You can't be a citizen somewhere for your own benefit alone, but there are certain expectations and responsibilities you have as a citizen, whether it be of this nation, a different nation, or a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. Citizenship is a theme throughout scripture. We see that in the book of Genesis, God speaks to Abraham and says that he would build a great nation through him. To Moses, God speaks and gives him commandments and laws to give to Israel to make them a holy nation. God raises up David to be a king over the kingdom of Israel, promised a, mess a messianic lineage so that God's kingdom would rule eternally through that line. Through the Old Testament prophets during times of exile, God would address true citizenship of his people being in God's kingdom to anticipate the coming messianic king. Through the gospels, even John the Baptist proclaims the kingdom is near. Jesus sets foot on human history and proclaims that the kingdom is here. We see in the Sermon on the Mount the description of the kingdom of God through Christ. In the book of John, John 3, see that if you must want to be a part of God's kingdom, you must be born again. The apostle Paul, as a Roman citizen imprisoned in Rome, writes these words to the church at Ephesus. You see, citizenship is a mark of identity that carries with it responsibilities, privileges, and expectations. These things were true for the first century Christian church at Ephesus. They're true for you and I today, and we often forget because we often act more like Americans than we do citizens of Christ's kingdom. And if we act like citizens of Christ's kingdom, we maybe camp out on the privileges of that citizenship rather than the responsibilities and expectations that come with it. But there are a few things I want us to see, some truths about kingdom citizenship today that will help you and I understand what it means to be a part of Redemption Church. Because we are seeking to be a small church that's representative of, of Christ's large global church that's representative of his kingdom here on earth. 
And so there's some things that I want you and I to understand today as we move forward as Redemption Church, looking at the purpose of the gospel, community, and mission that Ephesians 2 speaks to us today. The first is this. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are all hopeless strangers. Apart from Jesus Christ, all of us are hopeless strangers. Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. If we dismissed you right now, would that not be the most depressing thing? To say, hey, welcome to church. Here's some things I want you to know today. That you're separated from Christ. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You are strangers to the covenants of promise. And you have no hope without God. Go get lunch, tip big. You see, the gospel, the good news, first starts with the reality that apart from Jesus Christ, all of us are hopeless strangers. You see, biblically, Israel was understood to be God's chosen people representative of God's kingdom on earth. Non-Jews, therefore, were strangers to this kingdom. Scripture says separated, alienated with no hope. It's like if you had a passport, the wrong passport. If you found yourself traveling and you had someone else's passport or a passport with a different country's citizenship, you can say, really, I'm an American, let me go home. And you can say, well, you have the wrong passport. Your passport doesn't indicate that you're an American citizen. That's not your name on that passport. You, you cannot access this kingdom. And see, for you and I, we often find our identity in the wrong things, even good things. Paul addresses here that folks uh, in the first century were trying to figure out the relationship between uh, the Jewish uh, Israel culture and the first century church and how they were incorporating non-Jews into the kingdom of God. This was difficult for them to figure out what, what's the relationship. Are we really the true kingdom here? And then the Gentiles that believe in Jesus are just kind of, you know, acquaintances. But Paul says, no, they are fully into the kingdom of God in the same way. And so for you and I, we often find that same thing, right? We often say, well, maybe I find my identity in the tradition I grew up with or maybe the religious Uh, culture I grew up in, maybe my spiritual or moral record or preferences, or maybe it is the family you come from. Maybe you find your identity and your uh, strong intellect or your good moral works. Maybe you find your identity in something totally non-religious whatsoever. Maybe you find your identity in your bank account or your school Uh, performance or the job that you have or the house that you live or the plate or your football team I don't know it's very easy for us to find our identity elsewhere and that actually makes us strangers to God I don't care how good your moral record is how smart you are how religious you are how spiritual you are scripture is clear that apart from Jesus Christ We are all hopeless strangers, alienated, strangers with no hope, separated. That is bad news. And it's the truth. So I want you to think for a minute, where is it you find your identity apart from Christ? It can be something very good, but it can still do nothing for you except keep you separated, alienated, strangers with no hope. 
Do you ever think about that? What is it for you? I want us to today start thinking about what it is that keeps us separated, keeps us alienated, keeps us hopeless, keeps us strangers, because if Christ is not in the picture, that's where we are. But there's good news that I want us to see here. The good news is this. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the true prophet, true priest, and true king of God's kingdom. And this is great news for us. Because Paul writes, hey, apart from Christ, you are separated, alienated, strangers with no hope. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus. Well, there you go. If you have to leave early, you can leave now because that's the good news. Right? Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Man, this gets me so, so excited. You see, Jesus is the true prophet because he came to earth proclaiming the truth of God throughout human history. You see, God had been speaking to his people not only through creation, but through his word, through the prophets in the Old Testament. Genesis all the way up to Malachi, into the New Testament, we see Jesus set foot on the human stage, verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He preached. I like that. I'm a preacher. Jesus preached, that means he proclaimed the truth, the good news. You know, Jesus came not only to live the perfect life and to die a death as a sacrifice, he did those things, but he also preached, he proclaimed peace to those who were far off. He preached, proclaimed peace to those who were near. You see, Jesus was the true prophet of God, proclaiming the truth of God and God's kingdom to all people. But Jesus was also a perfect priest. You see, in the Old Testament, there were priests who would mediate the relationship between a perfect God and God's wayward people. There were priests who would come in and say, we, we represent the intermediaries between God and man. We are, we are going to mediate this relationship between broken, sinful people and a perfect God. We are going to apply the, the, the demands of ceremonial law on behalf of all the people so that all the people can relate to God. But you see, it was the purpose of a priest to reconcile separated people and to restore broken people. That's what a priest did. And we see that Jesus is the true priest because verse 13 says, you were far off, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Don't you love that? I mean, just a minute ago, we saw that Jesus proclaimed peace, and then Paul says, yeah, he proclaimed peace, but, but he himself is peace. You're not going to find peace anywhere else. You're not going to find a right relationship with God and with others by, by applying some 10-step method or applying some interesting spiritual caveat or some sort of intellectual, social whatever, some sort of butter on your relationship. You're not going to find peace in any way with God or with each other if Jesus is not in the picture because Jesus is himself our peace. I mean, do you get that? How, in what ways are you, you striving to have peace with God? Because we do it, do we not? It, it all comes from our identity. If we find our identity and our good moral record, we say, well, I wanna be right with God, so therefore I'll stop smoking, I'll stop drinking, and I'll stop dancing, except when I've had too much to drink. 
Or maybe we'll say, uh, I find peace with God if I can do a lot of good humanitarian things. So every time you have a break, you just start doing great humanitarian things, which are good to do. But if they're motivated by guilt or shame or not Jesus, they're not good for you. You can do very good things with bad motivations and still be a stranger from the promises of God with no hope, alienated and separated. And I don't want that for us. You see, but Jesus is our true peace. He brings us near like a priest. He reconciles Jews and non-Jews with each other by bringing them near. Scripture verse 15 says that he is making himself one new man. That's pretty cool. I mean, Paul is writing to the first century church at Ephesus that has Folks with Jewish descent who are saying, hey, we come from the lineage of David and we are God's holy chosen people throughout the Old Testament. And he's saying to the Gentiles, hey, we have this crazy, crazy cultural background and we are doing crazy, crazy stuff. But but Jesus is setting foot on on the scene, bringing the two together as one new people in his kingdom. That's something only Jesus can do. Also reconciled with God, having a right relationship with God the Father Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There's so much about that verse that I love. First of all, it's true, but secondly, it's like a little Trinitarian nugget. It's like we have one peace, we have peace through Jesus the Son. We have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's so great. Paul addresses the early church at Ephesus and says, you are included in the kingdom of Christ. So you know what that means? That means you are no longer separated from God. You are no longer alienated from his people. You're no longer strangers to the promises of God. You are no longer hopeless people. But in Christ... You were not separated. You were brought near to God. You were not alienated from God's people. You were included in God's community of people. You were no longer strangers to his promises, but you have access to those promises. You are no longer hopeless, but you have hope both now and for eternity. Isn't that great news? This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. But thirdly, I want you to see this. In Christ, we are true citizens of his kingdom. That means that we may find ourselves in Ephesus or in Rome or in Hungary or in the United States or in such and such job or at such and such church or in such and such neighborhood, but truly in Christ, you are a citizen of his kingdom both now and for eternity. See, the gospel is that the king himself rescues us and transfers us into his kingdom, not as guests, but as citizens. I mean, that's what Paul is hammering away. Verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. That's huge. That means you can look back through human history. You can look back through biblical history and see all of the heroes of the Bible I'd say there's one hero, his name is Jesus, but if you look at all of the major players in the, in the grand scheme of things, like Moses, Noah, David, you got Paul, Peter, all these guys, holy people, maybe you come from a tradition where they're referred to as saints. Let me tell you, scripture says that 
you are fellow citizens with the saints. Those who have been marked as holy, those who have been set apart for, that's what saint means, is holy ones. And we know that holiness is not just a state of, of being, it's, a, it's an identity marker that you have been made holy, but it also means that you were set apart for God's purposes. A saint is someone who is not just holy in their, in their stature, but, but they are doing something for God. So to be a citizen with those saints, you are, you are a part of those, not only the holy identity, but the holy purposes. You got it? You, if you are part of Christ's kingdom, if you are a Christian, you are not only just made holy, but you are participating with the holy work of the saints. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see, the gospel is that we have access to the king. He is not only a king, he is a father who loves his children. We are not only positionally allowed to walk into the throne room of God for worship, but we are partnering on his work here on earth. If you have kids, you get this, right? If you have kids or if you're around kids, you can, you can watch them work and know that like, like my son, yesterday we had so much fun, man. We were recording some guitar stuff last evening. And see, my son knows that he's over there. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Love you, man. Um, I forgot he was in here. I didn't mean to embarrass him. Um, but my son and all of my children hopefully know that their identity is not just, oh, well, you're my kid. Now go play. But hopefully they know that, hey, you're, you're my kid, so come over here. Let me read a book to you. Let's make music together. He had his guitar. I played the drums for a little bit. We, we made some music together. We were partnering to do something together as a family. We, we, do, we play soccer. We go hiking. We have all kind of fun as a family. My daughters, my wife, my son, because part of being part of the household of God is reflected in that, is that is being a member of the household of God is not only like an identity that, well, I just get to sit at the grown-up table and eat all the food. When you participate in the activities of the family, right? Hopefully you do that with your family, right? Husbands with your wives. You don't just say, hey, we're married, so let's go to separate rooms and I'll see you in a couple years on our anniversary. But hopefully like go out on dates and like work in the garden or whatever. In the same way, being a citizen of God's kingdom with the saints, being a member of the household of God is not only privileges, but also brings responsibilities and participation, and it's such good news. So here's a few things I want us to take away today. Here's a few things that I want us to know because I want to rope it back in so you can see that this is not only just a biblical teaching for your own uh, growth, it is that, but it's also something for us to apply together in community. I want us to see how this ties into the purpose of Redemption Church because you may be thinking, dude, I got it, man. I'm a citizen with the saints. I'm part of the household of God I mean, it's, it's awesome. But hopefully you're thinking this. Now what? I mean, your sins are forgiven. I want you to know that. You, you have access to the Father. You can pray to God in your time of need. You can plead before him in your hour of desperation. And you can do so not with hopelessness, but with hope. 
You can say, God, I'm struggling with my sin. Please save me from my sin. And you can have hope that in Christ, he will rescue you from your sin. You can say, God, I'm so discouraged and depressed about this relationship or about my job, or I'm scared about my finances or about my health. And you can go before the Lord, trusting that you can plead that case before a father who loves you. And you do so with hope because you were close to him. You're not far off. You were close. You're not separated. You were drawn near through Christ. You have forgiveness from Christ. You were connected with his saints in Christ. You have hope. You have access to the promises of God. Hopefully that has given you such hope and good news today. But there's more. You have that, but you also are to participate with the saints in God's mission. You are also to participate with the family of God as a member of his household. Man, you're to get out there and help with the, with the yard work. You're to help with the household chores. And you're like, well, Jeremy, what, what are you talking about? So the gospel community mission, the gospel is that first piece that you are no longer far away, but you were drawn near. You're no longer inaccessible to the king, but you have access to the king. And that's all done by Jesus. He himself is our peace. But secondly, you were part of community you have union with each other, not only with the saints of old and the household of God, but you have unity with other believers because you're not the only person Jesus died for. In fact, it says here numerous times that he has brought, broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He's making one new man. We have access to uh, God the Father through the Son. We're not strangers and aliens. We're fellow citizens. We are reconciled together and that is good news so friends this is something that is for all of us not just for some of us we have community together gospel community mission so what is the mission jeremy i mean i hear you man i want to participate with the saints i want to be a fully functioning member of the household of god so what is the mission we see throughout scripture that jesus came to proclaim peace to seek and save the lost. And he gives his commission to his people. In Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, if you are a citizen of God's kingdom, if Christ has rescued you, if you are participating with the saints as a member of the household of God, this is for us. Jesus gave this to his disciples, but it is for us. If we are members with the saints, these saints that Jesus gave this commission to, we participate in making disciples. It is our hope and prayer as a church that we would be a church who is on mission, making disciples. Start with yourself, start with your children, start with your neighbors, start with those here. We are making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We, we want to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus. This is our hope and prayer. And so a couple things I want to challenge you with today as we look at gospel community missions, look at the purpose of Redemption Church, what it means to be a citizen participating as a, with the saints as a member of the household of God. A few things I want, to, want us to take away today. We are inviting you to get on this bus. Right, if you were a Christian, you have the passport from Christ that says this is your identity, this is your citizenship. Now what do you do with it? You get on the bus. 
with fellow believers on the mission before you. When I was in Romania, between Hungary and Romania, and I had my passport, we were going back and forth, back and forth. I was there to do a mission, to participate with other believers, to do a mission with orphan children. I didn't just have the passport so I could like go to some awesome cafe. I had the passport that said, this is my identity. These are my people. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. As a Christian, that is your passport. Jesus is your peace. That is your identity. So you say, hey, look, Jesus, this is my identity in Christ. This is who I am because of who he is. These are the people I'm with. This is where we're going and what we're doing. So I'm asking you today, if you are a Christian, man, you need to get on the bus. If you're not a Christian, we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know your identity in him. We want to help you turn from your false identities and turn to Christ so that you can have hope and not be separated. But if you are a Christian, many people are Christians. We say, I got my passport. I'm just going to sit here and just have a scotch until Jesus comes and gets me when I'm 83. No. If that's your citizenship, that's your identity, man, you have a responsibility with saints and other members of the household of God to get on the bus. Gus. I had to say it. I'm sorry. It is my hope and prayer that all of us will do that. Here's a few ways this happens here at Redemption Church. A few quick points of application. First, join a missional community. It's a great place to meet other people who are members of the household of God. Invite others in on it. Secondly, if you've not attended a foundations class, we're having one September 12th. It's a great way to learn about the distinctives of Redemption Church. We would love for you to partner with the saints and household of God represented here in this church. So we can, we can like get some leverage in God's mission in this city. We would love for you to do that. So come attend the foundations class. It'll be great. We'd love for you to serve the church in various ways. It's part of God's uh, mission to just make disciples. We have 40-something little disciples running around back there, little kids that need to be discipled in the faith, and we want to disciple the parents. We want the parents to disciple the kids. We want to all love everybody all the time. It'd be fun. If you like kids, there's opportunities for you there. If you don't like kids, please don't volunteer to be in our nursery. Jeremy, you told me to participate with the saints. Sit in the corner. If you don't like kids, there's stuff you can do elsewhere. So I'd say this, serve the church. Check out the guest services table out there. There are numerous opportunities, and it's for your benefit as well as the benefit of other believers as the household of God, man. Fourth, start or join a DNA group. We talk about discipleship, nurture, and accountability. It is our heart for men to grow as men in the faith, as husbands, as fathers. It's our goal, our joy, our hope that women would grow as women in the faith and eventually as as wives and moms if God has that for you. So a DNA group is a great place to do that. So with that being said, I'll conclude with this. If you are not a believer, we want you to know Christ more than anything. So come talk to me or somebody you trust and we will help walk you through what it means to be a Christian. If you are a believer, it is our hope and prayer that you would not only receive that identity as a citizen, but also uh, enact the responsibilities that come with the privileges to participate with the saints and the members as members of the household of God. We're going to try something new during this series. We're going to do it right now. If you have a bulletin, there uh, is a note section. I'm going to ask you to take 60 seconds. I'm going to try, try to help guide us into response. I want you to take 60 seconds to think about what action step you need to take. It may be to become a believer For the first time, it may be to repent in an area of sin, or it may mean you need to take a 
practical step in light of this good news. Think about it, pray about it. I'll give you 60 seconds.